Welcome to Psychocinematic, a podcast where we analyse depictions of mental illness and disability in popular film and TV. I'm your host, Stephanie Fanasia. I'd like to start today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording this podcast today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. I'd like to pay my respects to their elders, past and present, and the Aboriginal elders of other communities who may be listening to this podcast today. Welcome to another episode of Psychocinematic Podcast. Today's a little bit different than usual. The episode that was going to come out today uh, requires a few little tweaks, so we won't be releasing that for a little while. And in lieu of that, we thought we'd be very generous and release for you a Patreon episode uh, that was released last year um, to the masses. This is a really good one. Um, I chose it because I think it's one that's worth sharing with the world. Before we did this bonus episode, we covered Steel Magnolias, uh, which is a film in 1989 uh, starring Queen Dolly Parton, as well as Julia Roberts and Sally Field, uh, which is a main episode as well. So uh, we do refer back to that episode a few times um, in comparison to the Babysitter's Club series episode that we're covering, um, and mainly because they both discuss depictions of diabetes so we do compare the two so if you haven't listened to the steel magnolias episode and if you haven't watched the movie go do it it's definitely worth a watch for multiple reasons and i guess the main thing as well is that there's a little bit of backstory and background information around diabetes that is the chronic illness that michael has so there's a few terms there in the babysitters club episode that you might be unfamiliar with um, but you will discover a bit more about them in the Steel Magnolias episode. Or you could just Google them. Anyway, it was a really good episode and I'm really happy to share it with you. Um, please let us know if you like it and do not forget to rate and review us as well as join our Patreon. While we are giving this one away <laughs> to the masses for free, there are lots of new bonus episodes and bonus content that will be released. I'm uh, working on one now as we speak. And we really look forward to giving you more wonderful episodes and content. Thank you so much for listening to Psycho Cinematic Podcast. It's been a really busy year of episodes. We've had such great uh, guest hosts as well. So uh, please bear with us while um, we have a little bit of a hitch in our usual schedule. But there's heaps more exciting stuff to come. And I know you'll enjoy it. So thanks for listening and enjoy the episode. Welcome to Psychocinematic. Bonus episode. Welcome back to the podcast, Michael Watson. Hello, Stephanie Fornasia. How are you going? Oh, you know, you know me. So this episode is a b- b- bonus one again. Nice. Nice. So we just recently covered our first movie about type 1 diabetes. Neil Spagbolias. Neil Spagbolias, a.k.a. Julie Roberts dies of diabetes and can't have kids. <laughs> yeah. Steel magnolias. Yeah. Um, and as part of our focus on diabetes, I made you watch season two, episode three of the Babysitter's Club Netflix series. Yeah. How was that for you, Mikey? It was life-changing <laughs> as a diabetic. As a diabetic. Wow. 
Can I tell you my little history on the Babysitter's Club and then you can tell me yours? Yeah, sure, okay. <laughs> I was obsessed with the Babysitter's Club books when I was little. Yeah. And the TV show. Yeah. Which was great. And Good. the movie. Good for you. Yeah. I was all about it. What is it? It's just about a bunch of kids who babysit. Yeah, but like, you know, this. But they've all got rich interior lives and shit happens to them. Yeah, it's about friendship. It's about women supporting women. <laughs> I'm sick of saying that. <laughs> so it's kind of a spiritual sequel to Steel Magnolia. Exactly. It's 100% that. Cool. Plus diabetes is in it as well. So yeah. of course it is. <laughs> I, you know, read as many of the books I could, I could get my hands on. Actually, to be honest, this is a really embarrassing truth. I read one of the books of the Babysitter's Club is Christy babysitting a little girl with autism. Oh, wow. And it was that book that introduced me to autism. Yeah. And I and actually said, after I read it, I would like to work with kids with autism Oh, my day. God, I didn't know that. It's pretty so embarrassing. Babysitter's Club is the reason you're a psychologist. Maybe. When- also my own mental health issues. <laughs> um, wow, I did not know that. Very yeah. good. It's embarrassing because I feel like at the time I was like, oh, it would be great to get into that child's world and try and, you know, see, get close to them and, and see if I can discover more about them, which is not a very um, neurodivergent, uh, neuroacceptance you, you wanna, way. You wanted to fix them. I, want, I didn't want to fix them. I just <laughs> wanted to be the one that, you know, connects with them. Yeah. So yeah. It, was, it wasn't an altruistic very much feeling. probably born out of the movies that you see about disability. I was a product of the media and the world that I lived in. Yeah, yeah. I've learnt more about autism since then, but I'm really glad that something connected me to that, and here I am. You know, The Babysitter's Club was always iconic, and then last last year or the year before, Netflix released the new class <laughs> of Babysitter's Redux. Club. yeah. And I loved it. Season one was just like, oh, wow, kids that watch this show are, like, going to be so smart and cool. Like, do, do, do the current kids like it, though, or is it for 30-year-olds? I, like I don't care what, okay. <laughs> what anyone else thinks. I love it. I think I love it for nostalgia reasons, but also, like, the characters are really – I think they're really good. And, yeah, like, the cast is much more diverse – um, there's, you know, discussions of sexuality and identity and race and class and all sorts of things in it. And, um, yeah, in some ways disability because diabetes is featured in it as well. Yeah. Um, Alicia Silverstone is the mum, Christy, yeah. and she's just so glorious in it. <laughs> Did you not think? Yeah, I thought she was very good. Yeah. <laughs> But do you have any memories of the Babysitter's Club? Um, yeah, my experience of Babysitter's Club would be um, season two, episode three <laughs> <laughs> that I watched tonight. So we watched this episode and I chose this episode of the Babysitter's Club because Stacy, one of the characters who's diagnosed with type one diabetes as I think they're 13 in mm. this season, um, but in the first in the first season, she comes to Stony Brook, which I think is a made-up town, and she left her previous school because she was being bullied, and it was because 
of having diabetes. And mm. So you see that happen? Uh, you see her come to Stony Brook, but she hides her diabetes from everyone until she can't anymore. Uh, uh, and then, of course, her new friends, the Babysitter's Club, are like, yeah, we're cool with it. What's going on? We love your diabetes, Stacey, Stacey, Christy. Yeah, there's Stacey. Um, so, you know, we've caught up, you know, they've gone on lots of adventures. So this episode sort of starts with Stacey having a checkup on her diabetes and looks like she's managing it really well. But it turns out she still needs some help, which is why I picked this one rather than the first one, because I think it's maybe where you're at in your diabetes journey. Maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, fair enough. Well, do you want to do the plot? Let's do the plot. Um, you... Do you want me to have a go at, and at do an ad hoc plot? All right. This will probably be amusing. Actually, because I don't really... Well, okay, so... All right. This is how you interpreted it. <laughs> so... <laughs> Having for... not seen or read any babysitter's plot. There's a large number of young girls. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds creepy somehow. <laughs> And one of the young girls who I learnt is Stacy, with <laughs> who has the diabetes. She's uh, she seems to be participating in some sort of junior diabetes advocacy group. Juvenile, di- Juvenile. diabetes. Um, is that what you still call it now? No, I don't. I think it's just type one too. And yeah, so she's like speaking at a gala, like a fundraiser for this thing, mm-hmm. and she's going to be on the front of a magazine. And they're doing some sort of fashion show with their diabetes pouches. Yeah. And all the all the young all the young folk in the show are involved in the like in the fashion show. Mm. And it's um she talks a lot about how she's got a diabetes under control and her mum and her um I guess endocrinologist are very happy at how how much she's nailing it and everyone's saying, oh, You're like a little adult and everyone's very impressed by her. Um, and we see all the really frantic preparing for this gala and how many things she has to do, like the speech and the fashion show and all that. And we kind of see throughout, she's looking at her phone at her sugar levels. Cause she's got a new gadget. Yeah. She's got a continuous glucose monitor that tells her her glucose on her phone. And you've had pretty much the same one. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, we see when she looks at her phone that her sugars are a bit crazy. Like at the start, they're normal and she's like, yeah, I'm nailing diabetes. And then she wakes up a little bit high or something and then she's a little bit low and she's concerned about being a bit all over the place. Um, But as the stress mounts and we come to the evening of the gala, um, things seem like they're going pretty badly, like she's crabby. And she checks her sugars and she's really low. And anyway, it gets to the point in the night when she's going to do a big speech and she starts making it. And then she has a classic speech on film moment where she throws away, she doesn't throw away her palm cards, but she as good as throws away her palm (laughs) cards. And she says, you know what? I'm not feeling very well. Is my doctor here because <laughs> her doctor's at the gala. And she ends up getting just treatment in the green room, I guess. Mm. Of very her, fancy of her diabetes. Mm. Like she's having a hypo. And, mm. and there's a beautiful moment where it's like, you know what? Sometimes your sugars are going to be off. Yeah. That's okay. Mm. And you know what? It was be- as a diabetes man, it's beautiful. <laughs> it nailed it. Are we going to rewatch the whole Babysitter's Club together? 
<laughs> just the Stacey arc. Yeah. Um, no, it it was actually exactly what it's <laughs> exactly what I've been through. <laughs> How good is the Babysitters Club? Yeah, I, I was really impressed. <laughs> I like, and that's why I wanted to talk about it because, you know, it's hard to nail anything, but I feel like you know any like issue that doesn't get talked about or any illness that doesn't really get a, a light shone on it but i feel like that it was just as the claudia in the film <laughs> <laughs> although you know you you know you're more of a malin <laughs> i was just like man this just really nailed it yeah no yeah. i agree um from the actual tech and like her like how she manages the diabetes through to how she kind of feels about it and the symptoms that she has with various Mm. glucose levels it was all really good we won't use that necessarily use the same structure because i just want to fire questions at you yeah go ahead um the first thing is how different is the (laughs) portrayal of a hypo (laughs) (laughs) from uh, still Magnolias to this episode of the Babysitter's Club. Quite. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> it's a bit more low stakes, I guess, in that she's not heading towards a diabetic coma. But when you, like, you see as she's going into the hypo, you see it's like the American equivalent of... Oh, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know the American units. It's like milligrams per deciliter or some weird shit. I but you looked it up and you said, wow, that's super duper low. Yeah, so when she's having a hypo, her phone says she's 40 whatever units, which turns into 2.2 in the Australian units. Mm. And if my sugars were at 2.2, I'd be feeling very, very unwell. Mm. Um, And I would have treated myself. um, Immediately. Say, like, I probably would have treated myself probably half an hour before when my sugars got into the threes. Mm. Um, That's me. I guess everybody's different. So maybe... But I, I, I know that, um, you know, like the ICU nurse who um, taught us a lot about diabetes said that um, once you're in the twos, you know, people are worried mm. about you dying. Yeah. <laughs> so I was surprised at that reading. Um, maybe that was maybe a little bit inaccurate that that's how low it would be. Yeah, for possibly. Her to still be functioning. I don't want to declare that inaccurate, but mm. possibly. Um, and I guess she's got a little digital device on her tummy. So she's got the Dexcom continuous glucose monitor, which mm-hmm. was the thing I had on my stomach mm-hmm. recently because I've done a couple of free trials of some tech techie things for measuring my glucose instead of the old finger prick. Um, so that sits on your stomach. It's just got a little filament that goes into your, the fat in your stomach. Um, and that sends to your phone and it's constantly telling you where your sugars are and it gives you alarms when things mm. are going awry. So I'm assuming her phone would have had an alarm before that point, unless mm. she disabled the alarm. Yeah, which I did so I could sleep. Because <laughs> <laughs> there was one night where it was going off all the time because you were yeah. high. I was having a pattern of nighttime highs. Mm. Yeah. It sounds more fun than it actually is. Way yeah. <laughs> she also had an insulin pump. Oh, yeah. Um, and, like, you know, where Steel Magnolias was like... Let's just um, wing it and see what happens. Shelby has diabetes, but we don't ever see anything about how she actually manages it. We just see all of the complications. Um, in 
Babysitter's Club, we actually see her at an appointment with a clinician Mm. giving patient education, like, don't forget to change the site of your insulin pump every three days, unless blah, 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 blah. And it made for good TV, you know? Yeah, because like, I'm sure lots of kids watching that. And I do wonder whether kids watch this or just adults who are nostalgic. Yeah. I hope kids do. <laughs> um, and they, um, you know, they would be like, oh, this is interesting. What's going on here? And it's a, like a pretty accurate depiction of what an appointment would be like. Totally. Yeah. I, I think so, yeah. Except right now in COVID times, it's over uh, the phone. <laughs> she did it. <laughs> she COVID did it. Joke. She did it. Um. Uh, I guess one thing, you don't really hesitate to check your, like, she's like, I'm going to just go check my sh- sugars. I'm just going to go. Oh, uh, yeah. So you can, you can do a finger prick. A finger prick is more accurate. Than a than, continuous, continuous yeah, monitor. Yeah. Um, um, but you would probably just do that wherever you are. I generally trusted, I only did like 30 day trials of the two mm-hmm. different types of continuous Slap, like the two yeah. different types of, you know, digitally type things. Um, and I ten- generally trusted them. But um, my my question is, she was like, I'm just going to go test myself. Oh, like she I'm takes herself away. No, yeah, no, I test in front of people. Yeah, all the time. But, you know, you're an adult. I, She's um, 12 or 13. <laughs> I was initially hesitant too, but now it's like, fuck, this bullshit takes up so much of my time. Why would I leave the room you know, if I'm at a restaurant or something, why would I go to the bathroom and add another five minutes to what's already a pain in the ass? I remember there was a kid at school who had diabetes and he um, would test his blood sugar and um, give himself insulin on the bus, like at the end of the day. And I remember being like weirdly watching him and like when you fit, you know, just be like, oh, that's a bit weird, but I won't draw attention to it, but I can't help but just watch. Yeah. Because I'm a terrible person. But now... <laughs> And now, and when you first got diagnosed, like you were a bit awkward about it, and I was a bit awkward, like waiting for you to do it. Yeah. Like if we're at a dinner, and now it's like I don't even notice you do it. Yeah. It's like well, just I mean, that's of, what happens when you do something four times a day for a year. <laughs> you don't you stop noticing. But you do wonder what people think when, like, I say to you in the middle of a crowded space, "Have you shot up yet?" <laughs> yeah, but you got to make the jokes. Yeah. Got to have a bit of a laugh. But I guess when you're 13, you might still not yeah. be 100% comfortable doing that sort of stuff. Absolutely. And, you know, it's another reason why I'm lucky in a way to have had to, got diagnosed now as opposed to then because there's less of that social sort of baggage for me. Mm. And I'm surrounded by... Medical. Medical people. So, <laughs> like, they're, they're interested and there's no stigma. No. There's really no stigma for me at all. And I guess maybe for that reason, for this show as well, it is a pretty affluent neighbourhood that Stacey's in. She's mm-hmm. a very pretty, that sounds creepy as well, I'm sorry, she is uh, white, <laughs> pretty rich. She's supposed to be pretty well off in the books as well. Um, she's from New York. You know, she's pretty privileged. Mm. So that was in the back of my mind watching this too, like well, an experience for someone who isn't in all those privileged you know, identifies in all those privileged groups probably would be a bit different. Yeah. And I think that they try and get ahead of that criticism because one of the kids, I don't know, it must be one of their siblings or something, is talking about um, sort of protesting 
the lack of free healthcare in America and the fact <laughs> Dawn. that they have to pay. Dawn's the hippie chick. Yeah, well, okay. she was the hippie chick in the books and now she's just the woke chick. Yeah, right. <laughs> Who's, who identifies as pansexual. Okay. Good, good for Dawn. Um, yeah, well, I think that, that maybe her saying that was them trying to get ahead of that criticism yeah. that it's all very privileged. Because I can't afford continuous glucose no. monitoring or, or an insulin pump. No, um, but Stacey can. Yeah, and that's in Australia that I can't afford that. So in America, I assume so it's much more extremely expensive. expensive. Yeah. yeah. Um, but as it stands, like uh, flash glucose monitoring, which is just a different type of tech, um, is like 190 bucks a month and continuous glucose monitoring is like 330 bucks a month, mm. um, which is a lot. It's a huge um, amount of money. We can't afford that, mate. I, no, it's, and, <laughs> and it's, it's not worth it well, for me at this point. I mean, it's probably worth worth more than all the coffees we've drunk in that month. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a big part of that of the episode is her saying, um, you know, I've got it under control. It's just basically a math game. Yeah. And that really rang true to me because I feel like that's what your brain does with yeah. with um and you know it makes sense as well and I think you're a logical sort of thinker so you're thinking oh you know this is where my sugar's at I just need to do that and it'll be all right yeah but what she finds out very quickly is it's not that simple yeah if that if it was just a maths game then there would be no, no problems your sugars would just stay the same all the time yeah but when you've got outside influences like stress and pressure and you know you're running around off your feet and you don't get time to eat um it's not so simple yeah how do you relate to that yeah that's super true and a lot of more recent diabetes management is is very much trying to make it a numbers game yeah where you're counting the carbs that you eat or you're checking the ratio of carbs to protein or whatever in your meal or you can figure out how much one unit of insulin will reduce your glucose by and stuff like that so it can get super academic yeah um and if like you go for a jog like how much insulin to give yourself of your usual dose or yeah things like that you want to go and have a few beers like yeah how to mitigate that and i i'm not keen on that really data-driven stuff um but yeah i must admit that sometimes it does just feel like i, I guess what resonated with me was that feeling like when you do a finger prick it takes about five seconds and your glucometer, the little device, goes blank or counts down or one of them flashes up a little butterfly for a while. <laughs> and when the number comes up, sometimes your heart just sinks like, oh, fuck, you know, I'm 15. Yeah. Um, when I should be under 10. Um, and you you just feel like you've failed. Yeah. Um, and just for anyone who hasn't listened to the previous episode, um, our normal blood glucose is between four so and six. For, for you, it would be four and six. For me, it's four to ten. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I um, the episode really, yeah, captured that, yeah, if you if you thinking about it as a numbers game feeds into that thinking about it in terms of, winning or losing diabetes yes. and if you veer out of your range then you failed yes um she put a lot of pressure on herself a to have perfect sugars and b to just be able to do absolutely everything yeah. without it stopping her 
Um, and I've definitely been there too. Yeah. <laughs> um, we talked about it in Steel Magnolias as well. Like yeah. the, the first few weeks that I was diagnosed, I just, was yeah, like, really. Carry on. Everything's fine. Both ends. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she, um, you can, you really get, I feel like I'm overanalyzing a children's show, but it really did um, resonate. <laughs> what kind of podcast do you think this is, Michael? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you really get her frustration, um, and she even says at one point to one of the other characters, I can power on just like you can. Yeah. She doesn't and want to be. She, but she can't. Yeah. And she just you, you have she to... has to stop. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, like um, Mallory, because I know the character's name, okay. sorry, <laughs> um, is like, you know, you seem to be really beating diabetes. Like mm. Stacey won, diabetes zero. And yeah. like you say, you know, you can't have that and mindset with any chronic illness oh, i'm just gonna beat you because it's not going away that's why it's a chronic illness yeah if you try and battle with it in in terms of i'm gonna defeat you so you're not there like it's a losing battle yeah and i think that also feeds into that myth of you know battling your illness including um, mental illness too yeah no uh the um i don't i don't think you've read illnesses metaphor no um, not but that's like the sort of the last sort of the final thrust of that book is let's kill the battle metaphor yeah yeah um because it's really unhelpful and i and then, and then if you die from it it's like well you didn't battle hard yeah you enough. lost the battle yeah. yeah um yeah that's yucky yeah i mean i don't think the show was necessarily putting that forward like maybe they were just saying oh sometimes people say these things um but they don't really put a value judgment on that comment um but yeah, if I felt like I was battling with my diabetes, I think it would be harder. It's just like, well, fuck, my pancreas flamed itself out. Um, mm. I just have to yeah. deal with it which I and think is, kind of embrace it. Which I think is how you, you tried to um, think about it initially. Mm. But you also had to go through sort of like almost a grief process of, of accepting that my this pancreas. is what's happened. I miss you, pancreas. <laughs> I do miss my pancreas. Come back. I used to be able to just eat cake. If cake was presented to me, I could just eat it. <laughs> you, you don't know how good you've got it. <laughs> I'm sorry. I try to wait to be able to eat cake when you can eat the cake. <laughs> I do. <laughs> But sometimes I'm very disrespectful of your need to wait. <laughs> yeah, I feel like the the sort of journey that Stacy goes through again is trying to shift that mentality, but also she desperately doesn't want to be seen as someone to be pitied yeah. or looked after. Hmm. So in multiple points, Claudia is like, are you okay? And I, you know, if I was Stacy and I had a friend being like, are you all right? I would be like, fuck off. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> like the way Claudia does it is a little bit pitying. Mm. And that really bothers Stacy, but it's also like I don't want to think about my illness right now. I just want to think about all these exciting things that are happening and get on with it. Mm. And you're not letting me do that. But it's a friend that's just genuinely being like, "Hey, I think you know she's she's doing the right thing by by being concerned for a friend and wanting to make her look after herself." Um, and uh, we've had those moments. Oh, have we had those moments? <laughs> yeah, not even. <laughs> Not even since you've been diagnosed with diabetes before that too. Um, you know, she doesn't want to be seen as a sick girl. 
Yeah. Um, and she says that quite often. So it's like it's she's really struggling so much with being in that sick role that she's not looking after herself. So it's mm. like one extreme to the other. Yeah. Um, and that's also not a helpful way. It's not just being not just battling, but not wanting to be the sick girl. Yeah. Um, which is a really I like how it portrays that. And it doesn't um, it doesn't end with something like <laughs> there's no like scene at the end where the cast is like in front of a black curtain like we've talked a lot about diabetes today <laughs> um, and you know what you just need to be a battler and get on with it like it doesn't life goes on yeah it's just it it, um, it just inhabits that complexity yeah. Um, in a really nice and realistic way. And she ends up with a healthy view of... View, yeah. Um, which is aided by her obviously very good doctor who was probably probably paid a lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> I, I liked that, yeah, the doctor was clearly very good, especially when um, she kind of silenced Stacey's mom. Yeah, mom. Who has got it going on. Uh, to let Stacy speak in yeah. the console. She that, does that, that really nice. well. Like, I think yeah. we have to hear from Stacy right now. Yeah. Oh, the power that doctor <laughs> has to be able to say that. I mean, Stacy's 13. Does mum need to be there? Mature minor? Mm. She's got a few years before that. Um, but yeah, like she's like, you know, you, you don't have to be this poster child for diabetes. And even, you know, even the most, the best patients are going to have shit days. Mm. And... There's no perfect representative for diabetes. There are good days and bad days. And I love how Stacey's like, I felt so powerless in my body. When she was diagnosed. diagnosed. Yeah, I wrote that down too. And I don't want to ever feel like that again. And instead of saying like, oh, no, you'll be okay, the doctor's like, you will sometimes. Yeah. Because that's what chronic illness is. It's a lifelong disease. There are days where you're going to feel like shit. So... That is such a powerful and really important message in a children's TV show on preteens. Yeah. <laughs> that like, you know, it's not all about, you know, you'll you'll get by and days will be fine and that toxic positivity that we see so much of uh, inspiration mm. porny stuff. Yeah. It's like, no, no, chronic illness equals some days you are going to feel powerless. You're going to feel like you can't do anything. Yeah. It's 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 a very realistic expectation but that's you know sometimes it's gonna suck and you gotta let it suck sometime yeah yeah it's such a good message yeah and and my um diligence definitely ebbs and flows Mm. i'm definitely nowhere near as good as stacy i've definitely (laughs) never done any advocacy or you know been on the front of a magazine even though i'm i mean you are the poster child (laughs) Um, the 31 year old poster child for <laughs> <Just juvenile babies. laughs> um, uh, you do have a baby face there are those days when I'm just fucking sick of it and yeah. I'll just eat stupidly and end up in like with dangerously high sugars sort yeah. of thing um, yeah. and yeah you know you just don't be too hard on yourself exactly you have to be that's the last thing be that they cheers nice to to everyone but be kind be, to yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be <laughs> nice to everyone. Yeah. Be kind to yourself. I think that's where maybe this, I know, I know obviously it had to be. And, 
you know, to have this conversation, it had to be in the in the plot. But the fact that she kind of does become the poster child for diabetes, and they, you know, when they announce her on the stage, um, they're like, she's an example of how one thrives with diabetes, mm. and she does end up with her like her face on the cover of a magazine, and like that's kind of a bit like gross to me that she has this pressure to be the face of diabetes because she is basically given that role. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she's someone who's affluent and pretty and white and blonde and it's mm. just that doesn't sit super well with me that yeah. she's given. And, you know, all of the girls but in like, the show are pretty me, privileged. I'm pretty and white and blonde and I, it happens yeah. to every. It doesn't. Yeah, but does it, can it be the person who's not pretty white and blonde who becomes the face of diabetes? Yeah. Please? Fair, Do we need fair. that? Yeah. You know, she doesn't need to be the face of diabetes. You know, she's, got, she's just doing all right. Yeah. I don't know, maybe the... F- the show is being really clever and being like, this is what society wants you to be is, you know, the good patient who follows all the protocols, looks nice, looks healthy, looks happy. And we want to put that you on the cover of magazines to, to promote this illness. Cause we want you to think it's fine. And everyone survives well and thrives and there's nothing to worry about. Mm. Um, but the reality of it is it's not that way at all. Yeah. And if, if you, if you want to be that person, like it's it's not necessarily what it looks like, or it's not your illness can't just be forgotten about throughout yeah. that. Yeah, even though it's a bit yucky that they use this, you know, white pretty person as the face and whatever. I think they kind of undercut the problematicness of that yeah. by giving her a hypo when she's giving the keynote speech sort of yeah Um, like she doesn't get to do a speech in the end yeah and that's okay yeah Yeah. um but i I do agree with you she also said something about how diabetes when like at the end when it's all gone to shit she's like i thought that diabetes was gonna make me a better person or something like that Mm. i didn't write down exactly what she said i didn't write that one down either um i don't know maybe that plays into a bit of like disability as superpower Mm. nastiness or learning something about myself from the disability yeah yeah yeah. i know that uh, like it kind of fits for her i guess because she's taken on this role as an advocate and all that and like it's very impressive for a fictional character but i don't know diabetes i've said this like four times diabetes is just a pain in the ass like yeah. it's not I don't know if it's changed who I am maybe and and Casper was only a few months old when he I, think I was if anything, diagnosed so if anything's changed who you are it's probably being a dad yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah I definitely think it's I think it's important that she said that too because there is that mentality that you know if you do have like an ailment then it will you know make you a stronger person or make you appreciate things more or be better or have more you know vitality of life or something Mm. but most of the time it just really makes things shit (laughs) yeah (laughs) you know um but yeah maybe maybe the the lesson of the episode is that um you know, she felt that way mm. and now she feels like a failure because she's had this hypo and all that. And maybe the moral actually is it doesn't make you a better person. No. It's just something to manage. But it's, it's And it's also because, you know, she's in an impressionable age of 13. Mm. Um, so it's sort of she's trying to fit her where what her identity is within her illness too. Like mm. what sort of 
who she sees herself and like she's embracing the fact she's a diabetic but she's like oh, i can embrace it by being like so good at it yeah um but then she has to kind of reshift the way she sees it as all right well you know i can i have to live with it but not be perfect at it yeah and she i think she is like her character is a perfectionistic sort of person yeah. anyway yeah, for sure a bit like you maybe a little bit yeah a little bit can I call you Stacey McGill from now on? Sure, as long as I can call you Mlin. I know we've talked about the hypo already, but I'd just like to say I love that. It builds up, like you can see it building up. We're all a bit nervous and we've all seen Steel Magnolia, so we're all worried <laughs> that she's going to like lose the plot on stage and um, or hyperventilate or collapse or something. But she doesn't. The sound sort of shifts and it all kind of narrows in and then she just says no nah, i can't do this i need to see my doctor yeah rather than it become a big outburst or something yeah. like i loved that it's like no this is what actually happens yeah <laughs> i mean i would just say the same for shelby and still magnolias i don't know why she looked at her like why didn't she just have some sugar like, That's I think really she could have question. given that speech quite comfortably. I do wonder, though, carbs. she hadn't eaten anything, so maybe the sugars weren't enough for her. Maybe. But, yeah, like, just drink the juice. Drink <laughs> the, the juice, juice Stacey. Stacey. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, the way that the camera was sort of portraying her symptoms, is that kind of accurate for you? I didn't notice anything. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, I don't know, any... The irritability, Anytime yeah. a camera tries to show... Something internal like that, you know, like the angle goes, goes all wobbly, Woozy. goes a bit blurred. Like, Everyone's okay, it's all a bit <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, like we've really only got sort of like three or four things that we do in camera and in editing to demonstrate a character feeling unwell. Yeah. Um, to demonstrate the entire plethora of Spectrum. human malady. <laughs> you know, like, um, anyway, sorry, that's Sound. by the by. Yeah, like Lighting. you can hear a heartbeat and angles. Yeah, <laughs> true. Um, she uses the word invalid, which I didn't love. Um, Stacy, if you're going to be woke, be the wokest. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what was your thoughts on how Jesse's the ballerina? <laughs> you have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> so one of the characters is like, I have to drink this while I'm practicing. Oh yeah, ballet. I didn't quite understand what that um, was about. So that I have enough energy, like it's, you know, it's special protein or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, just like Stacy, it's a bit of a math equation. And Stacy's like, fuck you, it's not mm. the same thing at all. Yeah. <laughs> You're drinking shit so you can perform at your best and I'm drinking stuff so I don't get into a coma. Don't die, yeah. <laughs> um, how did that sit with you? Because I feel like that is a common rhetoric I think when and you know I've probably said it myself if you know someone's doing something that's about their illness and I'm like oh yeah I need to do stuff like that for my energy levels or whatever <laughs> and it's like oh that's not the same thing at all yeah I, I can't recall I mean I, I've had it for less than a year I don't think I've had anybody say any clunkers like that to me um that I can remember I reckon you will have some though um, if anything, like I've been the, the bad guy in that sort of thing. There's been a couple of times I've got a few friends with like inflammatory bowel, like ulcerative colitis. And I've said a few times, oh man, I'd take diabetes over UC any day of the week. <laughs> like, that's a cunty That's pretty awful. <laughs> that's really awful. It's true though. I would. Sorry about it. A couple of maybe criticisms. First, Be careful. 
I really love this. <laughs> You're gonna it's have a great like piece of filmmaking. Oh, just turned you into a BSC lover. <laughs> um, the actress Shay Rudolph does not have diabetes. What? That would have it would have been nice if she did in 2021. Um, Wouldn't have been hard. You know, I would have played that role. You know, look, she they didn't did a, ask me. She did a pretty good job. Um, and she did say, I mean, I don't know how old she is, what, 14? Um, She's probably like 25. <laughs> she said, I really wanted to portray Stacey's type 1 diabetes as accurately as possible, so I interviewed some teens with juvenile type 1 diabetes, which sounds so cute. Not the same thing, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. Did she have any say in what was written in the script? No. <laughs> Yeah, no, fair. Good. But she I did a. She, she paid. Did, I think yeah. she's a really good actress. I think they all are. Yeah. Um, watch this space. They're going to grow into either a horrible life. One of two ways. <laughs> you can be Drew Barrymore or Corey Haim. Joaquin, not Joaquin. River, River. Phoenix. So yeah, you know, it's a bit of a bum that she that they didn't look at. Well, maybe they did, but you know, obviously they didn't. Um, look at anyone to play that role with diabetes themselves. Also, Kristen Lopez for IndieWire wrote, if we want to have more serious disabled representation on screen, especially where it regards women, she's a girl, but anyway, we need to move away from the Stacey McGill model. For her, the disability narrative often becomes a pretty girl with a pretty disability. Mm. I'm sorry, but diabetes isn't pretty, but, um, could be very could be very ugly if you die. But I see where she's coming from. Um, she says, where women are physically disabled, they're often facially disfigured, their disability being part and parcel of whether they're beautiful or not. And I, you know, I kind of agree with that. It's like because it's less visible, it's it is sort of, you know, less of a thing. Whereas, yeah. you know, when people are physically disabled in movies, it's seen as more like an unpleasant or ugly, quote unquote way of portraying it and she also believes that the babysitters club treats stacy like someone who could literally drop dead in an instant when it is in fact more nuanced after seeing steel magnolias i would maybe counter that a little bit <laughs> yeah um you're probably not going to drop dead in an instant but you could be hospitalized in a matter of hours yeah it is a like, serious you're, issue you're, you're, you're you know, if things go wrong you're not you you're you're closer to serious illness at any given moment than a, a person without a healthy yeah, person. Yeah, exactly. Like you can seem, and that's why it's it's probably more invisible, like you can seem healthy and be in a very dangerous position. Yeah, yeah, potentially. Um, I do definitely agree that, you know, she's a, a very, and throughout the series and the books, she's, you know, like we've mentioned so many times in Tropes when there's, a disability it's it's nicer when it's not something that's really overt and obvious i think we yeah. said about mad max like the main characters have more invisible disabilities and yeah the smaller characters or the villains have a bit more you know physically obvious disabilities yeah definitely like, the case here the, you're not gonna see the story about someone who's had poorly managed type one for 50 years who's now got charcot foot which is a really fucked up foot thing that you get with, mm. diabetes, with nerve damage from diabetes, with ulcers and needs to have their foot amputated and they're blind and they've well, got their own dialysis. Well, she's 13. Yeah, you <laughs> know, get like it's, it's, it's a more attractive story. Yeah. Um, but 
for the first and only time, <laughs> I can claim lived experience and say that it it all seemed fine to me. Yeah. But I, I probably fall into her same privilege box. Definitely, yeah. In almost every way, so. And yeah, yeah. you don't. One person with a disability, you're not speaking necessarily for everybody else, of course which not. is a very no, important I, thing to mention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in in terms of her point that they treat her like someone who could drop dead in an instant. Um, I feel like that's kind of dealt with too because Claudia does like she's kind of tiptoes around her quite a lot and Stacey's like don't treat me like an invalid she says <laughs> but yeah don't treat me you know don't be precious with me I'm just trying to get on with it so I feel like that's kind of addressed in that way by Stacey actually pointing that out and, and I didn't get the sense in the episode that they treated her that way mm. I mean it seems to me that the show is going to great lengths to show how awesome Gen Z kids are well some of them not all of them <laughs> i'm sure there's bullies in the show and not other no oh i think in the first season there was yeah um, does she have diabetes in the books by the way yeah yeah she does yeah do you remember any of the storylines um i remember her going on a date with a boy and trying to and hiding her diabetes from him and then they go on a hike and of course she like she collapses <laughs> right but it, he has like some apples and stuff so it's fine but um Oh, yeah, and the TV shows. That was actually in the movie, I think. Um, in the TV shows, like, it's Christmas, so she decides to go a little bit crazy with the sugar and then she goes to hospital. Because <laughs> um, she's like, come on, guys, it's Christmas. It's fine. And then, of course. Hey, guys, want to try some ketones? <laughs> I can't think of anything else because I think, um, you know, it's more the backstory that she comes to Stony Brook because she, ju- she just got diagnosed and she needs a fresh start because it was real traumatic experience yeah going back just because you missed a lot of school as well and yeah. yeah i think her parents get divorced and shit you know because of her diabetes because of her diabetes no. <laughs> my parents got divorced because of my diabetes that is absolutely 100 percent the reason <laughs> they pre they knew you were gonna have diabetes um anything else you want to mention um yeah look you know for better or worse i liked it i like there's some privilege there. Some Of course, yeah. Utmost privilege there. But I just thought this was I just love this series. <laughs> I've cried in most episodes that I've watched. Most episodes. <laughs> the it's ne- like twenty episodes. Okay, spoiler alert for anyone. In the next episode, everyone knows this happens if they know the babysitters club. Mimi? Yeah, Mimi dies. How? Claudia's grandmother. Oh, right. I actually did watch that episode. I bawled, Michael. I watched that over your shoulder at one point. Did you? Yeah. Oh, just beautiful. It's such a beautiful series. It tackles Mm. issues so well. And this, like, related to us as adults. Yeah. More shows like this for kids. No, this is a total phenomenon. There's a glut of teenage shows for adults. Pen 15, Big Mouth, no, Sex Education. No, they, but they're adult shows. This is for preteens. Okay, well, you didn't. But it's obviously I mean, for you in some respect. At the end of the show where they're doing a fashion sh- at the end of the show where they're doing like, you know, throwing on clothes and having a little fashion parade, you're like, oh, so this is for kids. This isn't for adults. Yeah, but I also said that there's like several sequences like that dotted throughout Sex in the City. 
Yeah, that's true. Like the second Sex in the City movie is just that. Okay, <laughs> so adults. hang on. I need to end this episode by deciding which Babysitter's Club members are which Sex in the City characters. Okay. So Carrie's obviously Christy because they're the main characters. They're a little bit quirky, but they're both like boys. Um, even though it would be so good if Christy was gay. I would love it. Miranda? Yeah, Michael, you just sit there and be silent while <laughs> I do this. Yeah. I'm going to... Miranda is Dawn. Charlotte is Marianne. Is, is Marianne the slutty 13-year-old girl? I said Charlotte is Marianne. Oh, I thought you said Who's Samantha. the slutty 13-year-old? I thought you said Samantha. No, that's who I'm trying to figure out. Who's Samantha? It could be Stacy. Because Stacy's boy crazy. Oh, she? There is a book called Boy Crazy Stacy. <laughs> So maybe she's Samantha. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. Claudia doesn't really fit in any box because that's Claudia, guys. Who's Stanford Blanche? Oh, Stanford Blanche. Who's Carl McLaughlin's character? Who's David Duchovny's character? I forgot forgot he's in Sex and the City. Um, Is there a Mr. Big? I'll stop. Thanks for listening, guys. Um, Have your say... Which... Do you have diabetes? No, no. no, Don't talk about diabetes anymore. Don't tell me. (laughs) Don't tell me how to feel. Tell us which Sex and the City characters are which BSC members, please. (laughs) And which Steel Magnolia's lady. There's no bitch, though, in BSC. They're all wonderful. No, which Sex and the City character is which Neil Spagbolia's? Well, obviously, Olympia Dukakis is Samantha. Yeah. Daryl Hannah is Charlotte. Charlotte. I guess Carrie would. Yeah, Carrie is. Is Malin. Malin. And Miranda is uh, Dolly Park. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah, Dolly's got a bit of Samantha in it. Wait, no, you said it is. Yeah, no. It's Claire. This podcast is not designed to be therapeutic, prescriptive, or constitute a formal diagnosis for any listener. For a longer version of this disclaimer, please visit the episode notes on your podcast app.